welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening and welcome to Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Jeff Poling. And I'm Ryan Shetty. On tonight's episode of Blooming Out, we have our featured music, an interview with Bloomington High School North's Greg Chaffin, and the local LGBTQ event calendar. But first, let's get to this week's LGBTQ plus news headlines. The Herald Times today had a piece on religious freedom being infringed due to the fix on the refra. Statements from city attorneys that conservative groups would not run afoul of local ordinances preventing discrimination against lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people don't reassure those groups, an attorney representing them said Wednesday. It is no comfort to the plaintiffs that counsel tells us not to worry, that it doesn't apply. Jim Bopp, a Terre Haute attorney known for successfully arguing Citizens United, said during a hearing in Hamilton County Superior Court. They can change their mind tomorrow. There's nothing we can do to in, in enforcing their assurances. Bob is representing the Indiana Family Institute, American Family, the American Family Association of Indiana, and Indiana Family Action in those group suits challenging local ordinances in Bloomington, Indianapolis, Carmel, and Columbus and the fix to the state's controversial Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Bloomington and other cities are arguing that the conservative groups have neither a ripe claim nor the standing needed to bring the case against the human rights ordinances. Thomas Cameron, an assistant city attorney for Bloomington, said the plaintiff's legal complaint is based only on abstract possibilities. The groups argue in a pre-enforcement challenge that the city's ordinance is preventing them from offering programs in Bloomington because they would exclude people who don't share their beliefs about traditional marriage. But although the groups are all, all were founded in 2005 or earlier, none of them ever has held an event in Bloomington, Cameron said. The groups merely state in legal briefs that they intend to. Cameron added that while groups claim their events and programs would run afoul of the city's ordinances, there are several steps necessary for the city's Human Rights Commission to be able to determine there has been a violation and potentially level consequences. First, the groups would have to be told, the groups would have to hold an event in Bloomington, which they only have asserted they would do. Then they would have to make the event open to the general public. Even if the groups were to hold the event, they would then have to actually turn someone away or exclude someone based on one of the protected classes in the ordinance, which does not include people with particular views on on marriage, Cameron said. That person then would have to file a complaint. That means the plaintiff's argument for standing requires the court to make a series of presumptions and assumptions, he said. Cameron further argued that while the group claims The ordinance has chilled the free practice of their beliefs. That chill is subjective because there is no threat of prosecution. The law is not aimed at the groups and there is no history of enforcement. Attorneys for the other cities named in the suit argued largely along the same lines, all citing rightness and standing in their request for Superior Court Judge Stephen Nation to dismiss the case. They're based on speculations and abstract possibilities said Pam Schneeman, 
an attorney in the Indianapolis Corporation Counsel's Office. This is too many ifs to afford ripeness and standing. Schneeman also said the group makes contradictory statements, first saying they do offer and will continue to offer programs, but then saying they won't offer them because of the ordinances. She said they are trying to find a way so hard to get into court that they can't get their facts straight. Cameron and the attorney representing Columbus went one step further. This case has always struck me as a little bit odd procedurally, Cameron said, clarifying the city has stated in affidavits that the ordinance would not apply to the group's activities as laid out by definition. Bopp dismissed the city's legal arguments, though stating the pure existence of the enforcement mechanism makes the chill real and arguable. This is the beginning, and a plain reading of these vague statutes with undefined terms is what we risk enforcement, he said. We don't want, pe- we don't want to have people lying in wait for us. He said the group's pre-enforcement challenge simply requires intention to engage in a course of conduct, something they have stated in conduct that arguably would be affected by the ordinances. And he said the group can, uh, also can point to direct injury as a suit could destroy the organization. Nation, who asked few questions during the four-hour hearing, told the parties he will review the case and rule, though he gave no timeline. Ryan Scott, a professor of Indi- at Indiana University's Maurer School of Law, said while courts tend to prefer not to enter discovery pre- periods and argue cases on merit, both the plaintiffs and the defendants in this case have different advantages, largely because law surrounding standing is so malleable. One thing the plaintiffs have going for them is, at this stage is that they're still at the motion to dismiss. The court isn't required to resolve any factual statements, Scott said. Adding courts won't second-guess factual claim, claims made in complaints and affidavits. That being said, the allegations still have to be sufficient. He said arguments in this case are close to the line because the conservative groups make general statements that they want to expand programming to Bloomington. Scott added the plaintiff's claim becomes tougher because Bloomington and Columbus both have disavowed any intent to enforce. Courts absolutely take that into, into account, he said. Of course, an assurance on the part of a city or a county is only temporary. Scott added the court can rule separately on the plaintiff's case against each measure, meaning the case against Bloomington could be dropped while cases against other cities proceed or vice versa. There is no requirement that the ruling be across the board, he said. From Jezebel.com, a Chicago elementary school cancels Christian haunted house depicting Pulse nightclub shooting. Fernwood Elementary School in Chicago was all set to co-host a so-called Christian haunted house that included a recreation of the Pulse nightclub massacre, but are now backing out and disavowing the event. Chicago public school officials told the Windy City Times, a local LGBT weekly, on August 31st, Tyrone Tapler Productions, the company producing the Christian interactive experience, sent out a call on Facebook for Club Pulse dancers, victims, caged people, screamers, extras needed trying to escape a cage. Uh, Sounds interesting. Come out this Saturday was the headline on June 12th. Amar Mateen killed 49 people and injured 53 more in a mass shooting at Pulse. 
a gay nightclub in Orlando. While the Pulse scene certainly stood out for its cruel and homophobic parroting of mass shooting victims, the House invite advertised several additional outrages such as blotched abortion and a Charleston church shooting scenario. The event titled The Room, A Journey to Hell, was slated to take place this Saturday and Sunday evening, but CPS told the Windy City Times that it had canceled the event and denied association with its most sickening content, claiming the event organizers mischaracterized the true content of the event. From theadvocate.com, the Log Cabin Republicans did not endorse Donald Trump. The Log Cabin Republicans' decision not to endorse Donald Trump for president was based largely on something others have cited about him as well, unpredictability. The overarching reason was the high decree of uncertainty about what Trump, uh, what a Trump administration would look like for Log Cabin Republicans and LGBT Americans in general, said Gregory T. Angelo, the organization's president. Log Cabin's Political Action Committee announced last weekend that it was not endorsing Trump, and Angelo spoke with the advocate a few days later. The group has no particular litmus test, he said, and it has noted that Trump has eschewed anti-LGBT rhetoric. Its press release on the lack of an endorsement even called him perhaps the most pro-LGBT presidential nominee in the history of the Republican Party. In his Republican National Convention speech accepting the presidential nomination, he cited the June mass shooting at an Orlando gay nightclub and promised, as your president, I will do everything in my power to protect LGBTQ citizens. That may ring hollow hollow to many, given that Trump has pledged to appoint Supreme Court justices who would overturn marriage equality if they have the opportunity, and indeed many on the list from which he says he will draw nominees have anti-LGBT records. He also supports the First Amendment Defense Act proposed in Congress which would give legal cover to discrimination against LGBT people and anyone else if it's done in the name of religious freedom. Log Cabin did mention those factors in its press release, along with the fact that Trump is surrounded by anti-LGBT types, including members of various advisory committees and his running mate, Indiana Governor Mike Pence, who signed state-level legislation similar to the First Amendment Defense Act. After public outcry, the Indiana law was amended so that it would ostensibly could not be used to justify discrimination. Angelo mentioned these factors in speaking with the advocate, too, but he said there's little chance the Supreme Court will get get a case that would challenge marriage equality. It would take someone bringing a case claiming they were somehow harmed by the right of same-sex couples to marry, and Angelo called that an impossibility. And the First Amendment Defense Act will probably go nowhere. He said, as some some on the religious right have withdrawn support for it. Since new language in the bill offers protection to those whose religious and moral convictions lead them to believe in the recognition of opposite-sex or same-sex marriages, the Anti-LGBT Family Research Research Council, for one, no longer supports the bill, saying it should not protect multiple views of marriage. So on the lack of an endorsement, Angelo said, if there's one thing this decision boiled down to, it's uncertainty. There is precedent for Log Cabin not endorsing the Republican nominee. In 2004, it did not endorse George W. Bush for re-election as president. At the time, Angelo noted, Bush was pushing for an amendment to the U.S. Constitution to ban same-sex marriage. 
Angelo also noted that in 2000, in a 2000 interview with The Advocate, when Trump was considering a presidential bid on the Reform Party ticket, the businessman expressed support for anti-discrimination protections for gay people. Transgender issues didn't come up at that time. But it's uncertain that Trump still does support that, he said, or if he would leave in place, um, leave in place President Obama's executive orders banning anti-LGBT discrimination against federal workers of or those employed by companies with federal contracts. Trump has said he would undo many of Obama's executive orders. Excuse me here for one second. For gay people, transgender issues didn't come up at the time or those employed by companies with federal contracts. Uh, the lack of a Trump endorsement, however, doesn't mean Log Cabin wants to see Hillary Clinton become president. Indeed, members should do everything in their power to defeat the Democratic nominee, Angelo said. Withholding endorsement is not the same thing as opposing our nominee, he said. Unlike a lot of observers, he doesn't think Trump has damaged the Republican Party's brand. If anything, Trump has shown you you can speak out about LGBT concerns positively and win the nomination, Angelo said. If being strongly anti-LGBT were the key to winning the nomination, he said Ted Cruz, Mike Huckabee, and Rick Santorum would have been the finalist. Cruz did come in second to Trump and delegates won during the primaries, but the other two dropped out of the race early. While not engaging in explicitly anti-LGBT rhetoric, Trump has made deeply offensive statements about other uh, groups of people, women, Mexican immigrants, Muslims. Log Cabin, Angelo said, has spoken out against Trump when it has merited. For instance, on his proposal to bar all Muslims from entering the U.S., he added that Log Cabin voters aren't single issue. They support many of the same causes other Republicans do, such as strengthening national security, preserving the Second Amendment, and re repealing the Affordable Care Act. Speaking of the Second Amendment, the advocate recently received a letter from a man who was angered that Log Cabin's Los Angeles chapter was promoting an event called A Day at the Range, where participants will receive instruction on gun use and safety. He thought it was inappropriate for Log Cabin to be promoting such an event, especially since an officer of the L.A. chapter, Ben Coleman, is a member of the West Hollywood's Public Safety Commission. But Angelo said several Log Cabin chapters have held such events and that given the group's support of gun rights, this is not unexpected. He added, I would never say there's anything wrong with exercising your Second Amendment rights in this country. And he remains optimistic that the Republican Party can become supportive of LGBT equality, even though his groups has denounced uh, this year's party platform as the most anti-LGBT in history. If anything positive has come out of Trump's, Trump winning the nomination, he said, it's in showing that Republicans no longer need to toe the anti-LGBT line. And we're going to take our first music break of the evening before continuing with tonight's show. Brandon Stansell may not be a country music may not be country music's first openly gay performer, but his new video feels like a subversive act in a genre so rooted in Americana. This from Huffington Post, uh, released October third. Slow down. 
sees the handsome singer-songwriter joining a male love interest in a drive through a desert in a battered pickup truck. The pair share an awkward embrace by a campfire before joining hands in the daylight. Stancel, who originally hails from Tennessee, told the Huffington Post that the song is about holding on to those initial feelings of attraction without overcomplicating them. So many times people get wrapped up making sure that everything makes sense, that they forget to enjoy the, the person that is right in front of them, he said, noting that the tune was partly inspired by a recent dating experience. My goal is to share my experiences in life in an authentic way, Stencil said. The song, which is also the title track of Stencil's new three-song EP, features backing vocals from country artist Ty Herndon, who came out as a gay uh, person in 2014. The significance of Herndon's presence on the album isn't lost on Stancel, who called the What Matters Most singer a personal inspiration. In so many ways, he paved the way for artists like myself, he told HuffPo. So having him sing on the road was not only an honor for me, but also my way of saying thank you and acknowledging him for being the leader in this world I am stepping into. For his part, Herndon echoed that praise. I'm so happy to be a part of this talented man's journey, he said, naming Years After Years, Dolly Parton, and Tracy Chapman as artistic influences. Stancel described his sound as California country and said his music is just as reflective of his current home in Los Angeles as it is by his Nashville roots. While the roster of openly gay country artists continues to grow, the singer hopes his work is an honest reflection of his life that all listeners can identify with. I sing songs about love, loss, hope, and heartbreak. Human feelings I think everyone can relate to, he said. It's not an issue of being relatable. It's an issue of being genuine and present. So here is Brandon Stancel with Slow Down.
That was Brandon Stanzel's newest song, Slow Down, here on Blooming Out on WFHB. We are now joined by Greg Chaffin here on the show. Greg is a guidance counselor at Bloomington High School North and has been at the forefront of the fight for LGBT students. He is here speaking with us tonight about recent actions taken by MCCSC regarding students wearing the Confederate flag and school administration's actions on LGBT harassment. Greg, welcome tonight. Hey, thanks for having me here tonight. Appreciate that. Glad you could make it. I know you're a busy guy. <laughs> Not too busy for you guys. So. <laughs> Not at all. You, uh, you were able to get here today. We're really appreciative of you being here. Thank you. So, um, Greg, why don't you, for, for our listeners who do not know exactly what we're going to be talking about tonight and, and what brings you in particular to the show, would you just kind of start from the beginning and sure. explain what is happening at Bloomington High School North and, our, and the community? Absolutely. That's a good question. I think, I think we have to start with the history a little bit to understand where we are now and why we are where we are now. So, um, you know, I started at North uh, as an intern 18 years ago. Um, this is my 17th year as a counselor there. Um, and I will say that, uh, you know, I got all three of my degrees are from IU. So predominantly when I've been in Bloomington, I've been part of the IU community, the university community. I've always seen, of course, Bloomington, and, and it is as a very progressive, uh, liberal, uh, intellectual bastion, right, in the middle of southern Indiana. We like to think so. Uh, yes, right? we like to think so. <laughs> but the reality is it's a community in southern Indiana, and when it comes to the public schools, that's a different matter, because the public schools represent not only the university community, but represent, you know, just just a, a mile outside of, you know, the university community. So there may be very different uh, values, different perceptions coming to, to, together, uh, you know, at the at the schools here, it's interesting because I think uh, in miniature um, we're kind of um, we're kind of representation of this country with a, with two different mindsets coming together, and we see that a lot in our schools. Um, when I started there, um, there was a Gay Straight Alliance. It wasn't called that; it was called United Students. It started because about four years before I I came to the school, um, a young man was thrown down the stairwell. He was perceived to be gay. He did not uh, identify as gay. Um, based on that incident the school started uh, the United Students Group. It wasn't, um, it was not that it wasn't allowed, but it what didn't meet during the school day, um, unlike other groups, it met after school. Uh, we had a teacher who uh, opened his classroom, and when I was an intern, I kind of stopped in to see what was happening with that group. The next year, the students came to me when I was hired there and I became a counselor. They said, because I had a safe zone sticker up, of course, uh, they came to say, would you be willing to sponsor the club as an in-school club? Uh, I said, sure. <laughs> Why not? And it should the, be. Why not? The students the got students. together and, ca and came to you. They did because that. they got to the students that went to the after school thing, got to know me and they just wanted to legitimize their club and come out uh, as a club. And so I said, sure, I'll do that. Um, you would not believe the pushback that, uh, that I got as a willing sponsor of this group. Um, the principal at the time, uh, said she didn't want it advertised because that could endanger the kids. I think that's been used many times over the years not to be out. <laughs> right. um, and the, but the, the students weren't afraid. Um, I told them we had to wait a little bit, that we did, um, that we did have uh, equal access, the equal access law, and that they could do anything any other club could do. But let's, let's take some steps here to do that. Well, the students went home. They got a bunch of T-shirts together, unknown to me, and they decided <laughs> to advertise right on their T-shirts. They did all these drawings and the information about the group right on their T-shirts and came just in mass. 
We had like that first year, I think 150, 160 students in the group. Wow. We have about 60 to 80 now. Um, but that was amazing. So there was pushback. The students are powerful. They're brave. They're bold. Um, I'll never forget, I belonged to the union and I was a union rep. A union rep came into my office that first year. Myself and another teacher, uh, she, both of us together decided to sponsor the group. Uh, and um, I'll never forget, the union rep went to her classroom while the class was going on and, said, and warned her that she shouldn't do that. She'll be fired if she sponsors the group and said, by the way, you've been seen in public holding hands with another woman. This was in front. She cried. She was nervous. I mean, new teachers. Both of us were new. Sure. I mean, he came into my office, closed the door and said, you can't do this. There's this morality clause, which did not exist, I think, at the time, and um, made me feel afraid. And I said, if they're going to fire me, I suppose they'll fire me. It's my first year here, so I'll find something else, I guess. Um, and he said, if you want to be Joan of Arc, and he slammed the door and walked out. Joan of Arc. Yeah, that was, that's what he referred to me as. That was the beginning there. Um, and there has been many, many things for the kids and for me that you would not expect in Bloomington, Indiana. I remember we put out announcements several times, like the third year on, and the students came to me and said, Mr. Chaffin, I couldn't hear in my office because I don't have an announcement speaker in my office. They said, Mr. Chaffin, we, we can't hear the announcements. It's, we keep putting announcements in, but we don't hear them. And I said, I'll go check on that. It was decided in the front office, uh, according to what I found out, that the secretaries didn't believe it was appropriate to have announcements about a gay group in school. So they told an administrator, and they, they did not have announcements. That administrator apologized to me quite profusely when I confronted him about that. But that's just a little sample of of how far we've come. Um, I will say it took until 2007 to finally get sexual orientation in the non-discrimination clause and the hiring clause. That was, I could I could enumerate a little bit more information about those battles, but it was even in the school board where we had um, identified people on the spectrum, on the LGBTQ spectrum, it was, a, it was a struggle. I think there was a fear about backlash, just as there is today, about that part of the community that can be loud and, and angry about these kind of things. Um, now let me go to the history specifically related to what I think this recent incident with the Confederate flag. So you have to know that over the years, many times, uh, our students have faced having their signs torn down uh, in our schools. I mean, there are many positive things, let me say that. I will say right up front, I think we have pushback in this community, particularly because of the level of outness of our students and our group and how proud they are. I think that obviously uh, being in that position means that you're going to have pushback. Um, we don't hear that in schools where you might expect that because maybe they don't have as out a student body and, and, and so forth. So I have to say that off the bat. But uh, these students have had their signs torn down many times about two years ago or so. And, and so this is a consistent thing. Um, about two years ago, then, we did Hands Against Homophobia, so students had this huge poster where they traced their hand, and then they put nice sayings about LGBTQ support, and we had hundreds of students sign that sign. We put it up in the library, and a contingent of kids, um, and some identifiable to the group today, by the way, that, uh, you know, to this day, to this present day, with the Confederate flag stuff, uh, um, uh, tore that sign down. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Uh, after that, uh, the National Day of Silence in that atmosphere that we had at school was very volatile. I told the kids to keep a record of the number of negative comments they heard, and we had dozens and dozens, uh, some, some very profane and some very difficult. Uh, we brought that to our social worker and our administration to show the reality of what these kids face day by day. I will tell you, um, the thing that concerns me, I think, is uh, there is a hint that administration to some degree possibly and I don't think it's malicious I think it's about uh, education around these issues but they there's an attempt to equate the two groups as 
equally um, they equally have reason to be upset. For instance, um, these are a group of kids that believe this. These are a, kids, a group of kids that believe this. We, both, all of these groups of kids need to feel welcome in the schools. That troubles me because in my mind, these are not at all equitable situations. What I'm trying to present here is the reality that the aggressors, the bullies, have always been on a certain side. The, the LGBTQ kids, the United Students kids, have never represented an aggressive negative group. Their rainbow flags, their signs, and all that have been about supporting and empowering a marginalized group at school of kids who often don't even have support at home. We know the statistics. These kids are much more likely to think about suicide um, and those kind of things. They feel isolated. And so our group is about making sure these kids can feel proud. Even if they never come to the group, they're going to hear announcements and say, ah, they understand. There's somebody at the school who can support me. This group and the flag and all those things have always been about a very positive atmosphere in the school of embracing everyone, which, as we know, is what those rainbow colors represent, right? Um, the other group um, has been consistently a group to bully and pick on, on these uh, kids in the United Students. And so, um, you know, been, it's been rough on our kids, and I think the 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 fight in this community, the the necessity of standing up, is about making sure we make a safe school for everyone, and that that hasn't always happened at North. You know, Greg, I was at uh, I was at North yesterday. Yeah, and, <laughs> it was good to see you there. Uh, yep, it's always good to see you as well. And um, I was at North yesterday, and I noticed uh, a kid sitting on the ground, uh, and he was he was crying, didn't know what about obviously, and I went over to try to talk to him about it. This could have been a, somebody who had been bullied, mm -hmm. for all I know. And, and it's, it's a real possibility that, that he could have uh, been bullied because of his sexuality. I obviously don't know. I'm not going to make any presumptions sure. or anything like that. But um, it's sad to see kids in that state. Yeah. And you know that you're and, – and when you try to help and you're not able to help them, yeah. you kind of feel um, – you kind of feel constrained in, in some ways. Sure. Tell us a little bit about how you feel in these situations where maybe the administration is not always on your side. Absolutely. I, I think my background uh, speaks to this a little bit, uh, Ryan, because, you know, I identify as gay, obviously. Um, and I think that I will tell you this quick story to relate to what you're asking. Um, I wasn't uh, necessarily out. I wasn't not out uh, the first year I was there. It was a tenuous moment um, in, as a new person there and sponsoring this group. Uh, if a student or a, a teacher asked me, I would, of course, uh, tell them I was gay, but I wasn't out out. I will never forget at the end of that first year, I remember there were two young ladies who were a couple who always came to the group and they never spoke. They just came and sat in the corner and held hands. And that was great because that group is for every kid and whatever they do or do want, not want to do or participate in. I remember the last day of school that first year, I was in my office. One of the, Both of those uh, young women were seniors. Uh, one came into my office after the bell rang, the last bell. She was kind of red in the face. She had a note in her hand, and she came to my desk and plopped it on my desk and zoomed out. I was like, hey, well, oh, 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 wait. Um, opened the note, and it said, we really appreciate that you sponsored our group, but we don't know how a straight man could possibly understand all the things we go through. And I was like, oh my gosh. I have to come out to this group every year. 
they have to know. And I will tell you that um, that was profound to me because these kids need out examples at school mm-hmm. who are adults, yep. but they also um, deserve to have somebody who can empathize with them. And I do. And I think that's where I get the frustration. I know what it was like to grow up much, much longer ago. I won't name how many years, much longer ago to be in high school. And our coach used to have a dodgeball game and he called it Smear the Queer. That was in high school. Um, many, I could tell many stories. Of course, we all could probably sure. like that. Um, but you know, for me, the process of coming out was quite difficult from a religious family and all kinds of things. I came out at IU, um, you know, lost some friendships. It was tough, and I remembered those feelings of isolation and loneliness. So for me, there's a deep empathy for these students. Yes, it's a different time, you know, gay marriage and all those kind of things. Um, nonetheless, there's still the bullying. There's still the potential for isolation in Southern Indiana. And for me, you know, I don't think, uh, while I think administration sometimes tries to understand, uh, I think it would take a lot more education and some profound, uh, real world, on the ground understanding of this for them to get where they need to be in order for us to stop some of these uh, things that have been happening uh, at North, um, like the Confederate flag thing like the straight uh, pride group that was a few years ago that was national news Uh, i'll even uh, include some race issues in this where we had a young lady african-american who uh sang the national anthem at a game where our our um I think the team on the other side was Martinsville, and she sang it in a way that was quite beautiful, but it wasn't traditional, quote unquote. I think we could read white there, possibly. Um, you know, And uh, she got reprimanded at first by administration, later to apologize when the community was not happy about that. There is a gap, and the biggest problem is I don't think administration realizes there's a gap. There's a huge gap in real understanding of these issues. Uh, for power groups versus marginalized groups, um, so yeah, sure. Greg, it's it's now time for our first music break before sure. we return to our conversation okay. uh, here in just a few moments, and we are going to go to uh, a pretty good song. I I think JP picked a good one this this week. Uh, regardless of the fact that we just had Halloween, the award winning acapella group Pentatonix has released its third Christmas album. One of the songs off the, the A Pentatonix Christmas album is a hauntingly beautiful rendition of Leonard Cohen's 1975 hit, Hallelujah. The song is sure to give you chills. Here is Pentatonix with Hallelujah. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. Tied you 
to the kitchen chair She broke your throne and she cut your hair And from your lips she drew the hallelujah 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 Support for WFHB and Blooming Out comes from the back door, downtown Bloomington's queerest bar, dance club, and venue. From live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there is something for everyone every day of the week. The back door is located at 207 South College in the alley behind Atlas Bar, and more information can be found on their Facebook page or on their website at bckdoor.com. You just listened to Pentatonics and their chilling new song, Hallelujah. We're back here this evening with Greg Chaffin discussing the events which occurred uh, last week at Bloomington High School North involving the wearing of Confederate flag and the harassment of LGBT students. Greg, uh, it is so nice to still have you here. <laughs> good and, to be here. Uh, it's been good talking to you thus far. 
So um, back on what we were discussing earlier, sure. uh, the administration um, obviously, and, and we haven't discussed so much the flag issue yet. So right. tell us what happened last week. So um, the the first uh, sign that this group of students um, might do something was when our uh, librarian and library assistant, particularly our library assistant, got a hold of me and said, we have a big rainbow flag hanging in the uh, library. Um, and an interesting thing, we heard complaints about that rainbow flag. It was a rainbow flag that was gifted to us by a local church. It was really cool. Uh, we use it for table decoration when we do things, you know, like whatever. Um, but we started hearing complaints that that flag was too large in the, li- in the library. <laughs> um, there were hints of that. Students were angry about it. And I don't know how this happened, but um, the American flag, which was the same size as all the other flags, tripled in size. <laughs> One day wow. we came back and they had a huge American flag to out, you know, to outshine the rainbow flag Be- that was in it. Obvi- yeah. Obviously America is straight. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so the American flag, no, sorry. Did I just say that? Anyway, um, so, so uh, the, the first thing was that a group of boys were standing around that sign um, and um, they overheard conversations that they were going to tear it down and put up a Confederate flag. Um, they let me know. They let the principal know. I let the principal know. I'm not sure how it was handled. I know I did. Uh, principal did respond and said thank you, um, but I don't know how that that was followed up. Um, and in the weeks that came, there was more and more. Uh, this feeling was generated more and more. There were more boys there. There were more discussions about what are we going to do about this. So pretty soon. Um, it was told that um, maybe on, on we had Pride Week, uh, which is not GLBT Pride, but School Pride Week, and every day was a different thing. And one was Costume Day, where something I don't know that you're proud of or something. And one of our students, one of our LGBTQ students, did wear a rainbow flag as a cape, and he was festive and he was fun. The next thing we knew is that some students wore a flag. I think one student wore a flag the next day or soon thereafter, a Confederate flag. I see. Um, There was some pushback. Some teachers felt uncomfortable with that. Um, There was some discussion going on. I, again, took a few days for that to generate some more heat. Um, And then the next thing we knew, there were more Confederate flags coming in the hallways. And that's the one where you see the picture of like three or four students. Some students say there were eight students with Confederate flags uh, in the school. So it was a response to, I think, maybe our LGBT student who wore on a pride day uh, his rainbow flag as a cape. Um, The discussion uh, started to become, from an administrative standpoint and some others, um, like, okay, so did this kid with a rainbow flag instigate this? Um, and, you know, I have my feelings about that, certainly not, um, from, you know, what we were discussing a little bit before the show, that that symbol means something very different. Um, and the history is different. I think 1978, that flag was created, and the reason it was created was, as the color symbolized, bringing people together of all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other group may have a uh, cultural a reason um, they may have a, a religious reason not to uh, believe that gay people are okay, whatever, and we understand that. I mean, it is a free country to feel and think however you feel. The issue comes for me, obviously, is where um, there is a feeling that we have to show 
LGBTQ students um, the other side of this. So we're going to wear eight Confederate flags, and we know the history of the Confederate flag, um, and and send out an informational to say, hey, let's all get together to ban the fag flag, which went out among students uh, as a tweet. Um, that was stopped, and I'm thankful our administration stopped that event. But um, yeah, it was pretty clear what the message is uh, in this situation. Um, now, uh, there was a day last week where um, a bunch of, you know, the, the superintendent, I, I will say this, let me say this. Obviously, the day that all those flags came out, the Confederate flags, we had a lot of students uh, of all walks of life, not just LGBTQ, but students of color, uh, white students who were very upset about this. They didn't feel safe. They were going into teachers' classrooms where they knew there was a safe space. They came into my office, they crowded my office. They were very upset. There were tears. There was anger. Some of them were jumping on social media. Some of them were contacting the media. Um, they were revved up, and mm -hmm. they were so the other side now started to push back. Um, and the next thing we know, they organized quite quickly. Uh, Dr. Carter was in our school um, as well. She comes to our school and is incredibly informed, an IU employee. Uh, professor who was very informed on issues of race and all kinds of things. She was there too at that day and was very helpful in helping calm the students and say, how do we make this a positive thing? You know, how do you uh, advocate for yourself in a way that's meaningful? And so by the end of the day, the students at 305 wanted to leave school and head to the administrative offices and I followed them as well as some other teachers. Now, this should tell you a little bit about the atmosphere still at North, or at least the perception, and perception can be reality. Um, several teachers wanted to join the students at the administrative building, but they came to my office and they asked me, do you think I'll be fired if I go? Um, I said, no, I don't think that we can be fired for supporting marginalized students, but right. that feeling is there, um, and there were people who were afraid. Um, we showed up. Kids that spoke to the superintendent and those others who were gathered there were incredible. We have reason to be so proud of some of the students in our community. They were eloquent. They knew the history. They uh, spoke passionately and personally. They told stories about what they had faced. But And there were some students from South there as well who had heard about this. It was incredible. I sat there stunned at their maturity and their ability to advocate for themselves. So it's, it's wonderful to know we have that. I think that that's what led right after that. I had to leave a little earlier, um, but I stayed there for most of it. The superintendent did come out right after that and say that they were banning the flag. There were whispers after that, however, and, and um, they were um, pretty... Uh, I think that we could validate those um, whispers that there was the potential that a decision would be made administration to also ban the LGBT flag, mm -hmm. the pride flag, as a way to uh, make sure that they toned things down, they cooled things down a little bit. Um, but I was able to get some legal information that I shared with administration to say that really isn't the way to go with this. So when the administration uh, came back and and. You, you thought that you heard whispers of banning the rainbow flag as well. Yes. Uh, what was your gut reaction to what was what was occurring? My reaction, I will tell you, I've been 18 years at Bloomington High School North, and in full disclosure, I was... Um, sometimes you don't know when you're advocating. I, I mean, advocating for the students are the, is the only thing that I can do, and, and I will continue to do that for the reasons we named earlier. Um, but it hit me like a ton of bricks, personally, at a personal level. I had to shut my office for a half an hour because I could not speak. I, I knew I'd cry, and I'm not a big cry. I don't think I've ever cried at work. Um, uh, 
it was hitting me at a personal level about the threat that I felt the, our kids were under, and not just our students. I mean, here's a community that I love, Bloomington High School North. I've been there 18 years. I love all parts of the community. I love every kid in that school. I don't agree with, obviously, some of these things that, that I think jeopardize our marginalized kids, but um, it hit me in a powerful way, especially when I saw the tweet, ban the fag flag, and I wanted to say, do you know what fag means? They still call cigarettes a fag in, in England because it used to mean burning us at the stake. That's what fag means. Um, that's a powerful reality. I don't think these kids get it. Obviously, these kids that put it out there, I don't even think their parents get it. But it is a powerful statement and a threat. And I could feel it. The students could feel it. And I think sometimes I just wish, <laughs> to be honest with you, that we had an administration, and I'm not saying negatives. I think they try. But I wish we had an administration that were truly trained and truly knowledgeable about issues of race, about issues of sexual orientation, even gender. Um, Because I believe if we had that, um, many of these situations could have been avoided. So so many times I would love to know I had full support to make sure our kids felt safe at the school, and I don't always feel that. And I'm not sure. um, I'm not... I think other adults, like I said, who were afraid to even go support these students at the central administration, telling me they might, would I be fired? There's that, we have to wonder what that means, you know, when adults think that. So Greg, going back to the, um, the education portion, you yes. know, we are fortunate enough, as we've mentioned several times and had them on the show, yeah. PRISM. Yeah. youth who yeah. have worked on. Yes, they've done a wonderful job. Just, just that mm-hmm. exact, you know, thing and they won awards for it as mm-hmm. well and and that yes. wasn't that long They're ago incredible is 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 that helpful in the, in this situation it is are, are a lot of the um administrators or um uh, teachers you know referencing mm-hmm. these sort using these sources well as you may or may not know the the prism group was brought in to train all faculty on lgbtq awareness and support and so forth after the straight pride uh, group uh, tried to start and was this north and south north and south both okay. both high schools right. yes uh, as a, at a wider broader thing and it might have been actually when we had all all mccsc faculty together at a training i believe it was um so it was a, a wonderful response to what we had been through with the straight pride situation and so forth. Um, I will say this, and and this is hard to say, but it's truth, and I think this information is important, that we knew that some of the very things that led to the straight pride uh, situation, I mean, you know, these things don't start in one day. They're slow steps towards these. And there are several things that happened on the way there. Um, And uh, I contacted administration all the way to the top and said, we need training. That was about a year and a half before the straight Mm -hmm. pride group got started. And um, uh, I was told that it's very, there's a recognition that this is important training, but we're much better than other communities and schools. Um, and then I didn't hear anything else back from that. And then a year and a half later, we had this uh, huge national news about the straight pride group and so forth. So, you know, these are the kind of things that we have to recognize in our community. Prevention could be huge, you know. Um, Kids are in danger when these things happen. Kids on both sides are in danger. Sure. Um, and so this is so this is very important stuff. Greg, go back for a second. <clears throat> Again, going back to being in um, the school yesterday, uh, I did hear somebody go, use fag, yeah. obviously, and yeah. I don't know what to do in that situation. What do teachers do in these situations if they overhear? Or, or administrators or counselors or, or whatever have you. Yeah. What do they do when they hear that derogatory comment? 
different teachers do different things. We have incredible some, uh, and you know, I have to say this, at least in our school, and I would believe across the system, we have some incredible, knowledgeable uh, advocates for the LGBTQ students and communities, and some teachers will not have it in their classroom. I know one particular teacher; um, she will she put a sign outside her door like "No negative image" or "or no negative symbol will be coming into this classroom. If you have it, you will not come in." That's amazing. Um, that's the, and so we have those advocates. But we have teachers up and down the spectrum. We have teachers who are not aware at all. Um, we sent out a survey to the new teachers who came in, uh, and our, one of our, our amazing president, uh, Emma Cannon, for the United Students Group, she's our president this year, she's incredible, she uh, put out a survey to new teachers to ask if they were safe people, safe places. And we got uh, about half of those back. Um, that's not saying that the ones that we didn't get back are not safe people, but it does talk about, like, those half got back to us really quickly, right. like, we want to advocate. So. In, in answer to your question, um, it's different for every teacher. Um, I was—I uh, know we have safe zone stickers up for about maybe a third of the faculty. I'd love for everybody to have those up. But in a discussion I had with our principal, um, it was brought up that maybe we should take those safe zone stickers down. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, because it makes those who don't want to post or don't have safe zone stickers feel like they're being portrayed as non-advocates. He said, everybody should be an advocate here. And I said, that's exactly why everyone should have a safe zone sticker. So the logic there, I didn't get at all. Right. Um, I'm not about to take my safe zone sticker down. So Right. <laughs> right. Well, the overreaction, Greg, is what I'm, is what I'm hearing now. Yeah. So, so, okay. You know, so the the uh, you know take take down the Confederate flag, um, you know the the arguments you know um, uh, allow the the rainbow flag to be left up, but now it, it, tell us about what's happening where we're hearing, well there shouldn't be any at all. The the rainbow flag should not be yeah. displayed. You should not have safe zones. What is this overreaction? This you know what mm -hmm. is what is causing causing that and and do you think it's going <clears> to <throat> how where's it going that's, those are great questions, and there are a lot of question marks. Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> right. I have all the answers to sure, that. We're sure. we're waiting in anticipation to see how the weeks and months proceed. Uh, I would advise that communication happen big big time, and that we do. So I know they're doing some things about this, but actually, counselors have not really been well informed about that. I think in our next faculty meeting, actually, uh, all of faculties maybe are at least our faculty at our next faculty meeting. We're meeting at a building near administration to discuss this. That's great. They are putting together, I know, but this was happening before we had all of these things, uh, a cultural kind of sensitivity committee. I'm part. I'm going to be part of that committee. That's great. And I looked at the names of those people. That They're wonderful people. So I think we're starting on some good things. Um, but let, let's be honest. <laughs> the interests of, of maybe the administration, who, who in, in many ways are some wonderful administrators in our system, um, their interests are Let's steer away from controversy. Let's steer away from media. Let's steer away from news, right? Mm -hmm. Let's not upset the most vocal parents. And sometimes mm -hmm. the most vocal parents, mm-hmm, who might those be? Um, mm -hmm. So they have certain interests. Right. My interests are how can we make sure the least of our students, those that are most vulnerable, are safe, that they feel they can come to school if nowhere else and make sure they walk in those doors and they're not being called a faggot, they don't have to fear for their safety. That's my interest, and I think that's the interest of many teachers and so forth. Those two interests sometimes collide, um, and that feels scary for 
um, there are power stations, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, power levels within this community of, of schools. And that's a scary thing because you know when you're advocating for something you believe in, it's possible that you're also the person that's bugging the heck out of you know the top administration. That doesn't feel good. And that's never been my purpose. But because I've just named those two different uh, goals uh, that we have, sometimes those are going to conflict. Sure. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. We, we as usual, have... Probably a good another hour's worth <laughs> of content. We can keep talking good, you, but <laughs> at least a couple more shows <laughs> yeah, on right this and other topics. It's been a pleasure, it's Greg. It's been great. Thank you, guys. I yeah. appreciate being here. Thank you for being here. Now it's time for our LGBTQ plus area event calendar. Tonight at the Root Cellar is Mister, a special Thursday edition of Monsieur with DJ host Aaron Tilford, a speakeasy style party for the bent, their allies, and other estites. Eclectic sounds. Old and new, no cover. Doors open at 9 p.m. Music is at 10 p.m. Jane Ward, Associate Professor of Gender and Sexuality Studies at the University of California, Riverside, presents a free lecture titled Not Gay on Thursday, November 10th. I remember last time I said not gay on Thursday, but (laughs) it is not that. It is not gay, and this is taking place on Thursday, November 10th from 7 to 9 p.m. in the Frangipani Room at IU. Not Gay is a thrilling dive into the way white men who identify as straight have navigated the waters of sexuality and identity since the late 19th century. More information can be found on the GLBT Student Support Office's website. The IU McKinney School of Law and Indiana Legal Services will be on hand on Saturday, November 12th from noon to 4 p.m. at the School of Law in Indianapolis to discuss the process of name and gender marker changes for those who are transgender. Attorneys will evaluate each case for representation, but cannot promise each person will get an attorney for their case. Please also visit the GLBT Student Support Services Office's website for more information. Dog Day Afternoon, Figuring the Closet, will be held on Thursday, November 10th from 4 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. in the IMU Oak Room. Melissa Jane Hardy is Senior Lecturer and Associate Dean in the Faculty of Arts and Science, University of Sydney, where she teaches queer theory, textual studies, and film studies. She's completing a book on the closet and queer theory, and she recently published a chapter on Diuna Barnes' Nightwood in the collection Modernism and Masculinity. She is also a a contributor to the Cambridge Companion to American Gay and Lesbian Literature. Join us to hear more. That is it for tonight's LGBTQ area event calendar. If you would like to add your event to our calendar, please email us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. We'd like to thank you for tuning in tonight. If you're interested in volunteering here at WFHB or our show, contact volunteer at WFHB.org. You can also call us at 812-323-1200, tweet us at Blooming Out WFHB, visit our Blooming Out Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. The executive producer of Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The producer is Ryan Shaddy. Our associate producer and board engineer is Sarah Hetrick. And our theme music is an original composition produced for Blooming Out by Aaron Gage. If you've wondered why my voice has not been so strong this evening, it's because I was up so late last evening celebrating the Cubs. And before we leave you tonight, I would like to send a special shout out to my Chicago Cubs for winning their first World Series since 1908. 
named after a cub and a fan long before I was born. This is for my grandpa and all those like him that were unable to witness history. Eddie Veter will provide the ending tribute of All the Way. For Blooming Out and Jeff Pulling, I'm Ryan Shaddy. Please tune in again next Thursday at 6 p.m. or visit us online at bloomingout.com. We are one with the cubs, with the cubs we're in love. Yeah, hold our head high as the underdogs. We are not fair weather, but foul weather fans. Like brothers in arms in the streets and the stands. There's magic in the ivy and the old scoreboard. The same when I stared at as a kid keeping score. In a world full of greed, I could never want more. And someday we'll go all the way. Yeah, 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 someday we'll go all the way. Thank you for joining us on Blooming Out. Be sure to find us online for past episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more at bloomingout.com. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. for Blooming Out on WFHB.